0: And Father, so grateful uh, for your word and for your people and for just this opportunity to gather together. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be welcomed. We know that it is you that come and, uh, and change us, God, that you're ch- the one that changes our hearts and our minds. You're the one that takes your word and applies it to our life. And so we ask that you would be welcomed, that you would be present, um, and that you would, you would save, that you would rescue, that you would heal and redeem today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Imagine if every professing Christian was a genuine follower of Jesus. If every person that claimed Christ actually had a genuine faith. What would your workplace look like? What would our city be like? How would our government act and speak? What would our our country be like? Now, not, not a perfect faith, but a genuine faith. A faith that is honest enough to admit our imperfections. A faith that is humble enough to listen more than it speaks. A faith that shows grace instead of vengeance. A faith that creates a deep yearning and hunger for change rather than complacency and apathy. A faith that doesn't quit even when the journey gets hard. A faith that presses into the brokenness and pain of this world with generosity and compassion. A faith that knows following Jesus is costly, but that Jesus is worth more than anything that we could ever lose. What would the church look like? What kind of impact would the church have in the world? This is the reality that James wanted to invite us into. He wants us to live in this and experience this. So if you would open your Bibles to James, we're going to be in chapters 1 and 2, but before we get in there, since this is kind of a standalone sermon, I want to do a little bit of background. So uh, James is the author of the book that bears his name, and he is Jesus' younger half-brother, the son of Joseph and Mary. He uh, wasn't a follower of Jesus during uh, Jesus' ministry. So Jesus had a three-year ministry. And James thought Jesus was crazy during that three-year ministry. He actually, uh, with his parents, was like, hey, listen, we need to get this guy put in a, in a psych ward. And several times you see them kind of coming to get Jesus and saying, hey, step off the stage. But then all of a sudden, James goes from thinking that Jesus is crazy to now following Jesus and giving up his life. We know that James was martyred around AD 62. He was killed for his faith. And this happened all because of the resurrection. James saw his brother resurrected from the dead, and he came to faith that he was was the resurrected Messiah. And he became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, um, and he wrote this book, which many think is the earliest book in the New Testament, likely written around 45 A.D., and he writes it to churches that have been scattered out of Jerusalem. Um, Jews were persecuted, they, they spread out, and they started new churches. And James writes this letter to them. And, uh, and he writes to them um, just a very practical, down-earth. James is known just for being very proverbial. Right? He, he, he gives very down-earth, very applicable tools and messages for us. And so that's with that background I want us to read. We're going to be in James 1, 19 through 27, and 2, 16 through 26. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now James two fourteen through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word. So the big idea that really courses through these two passages and really through the whole book of James is that a genuine faith is seen in our lives. A genuine faith is seen in our lives, and the question that James is asking us is, what do you believe? Now, we're going to look at two points to talk about this. The first one is um, a dangerous deception, and the second one is a genuine faith. Now, first, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to welcome you. I want to say that we welcome you, we hope you feel loved, and we hope you feel cared for, and my hope and desire in this sermon is that you get to see a clear picture about what genuine faith is and about what it isn't. We, we want you to press in to keep asking questions. And we want you to see, hopefully, by listening to this, where you're at. Because it's dangerous, it's dangerous to think that you're someplace that you're not. And so we hope you feel loved, we hope you feel cared for, but we hope you get clarity about what genuine faith in Jesus really is and about what it isn't. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, um, this passage is going to both challenge us and it's going to encourage us. Now, I hope it, it challenges us because... James is going to press. He's very blunt and he's very matter of fact and he's going to, he's going to help us to be honest about areas where we're all deceived. It, all of us have different areas where there's a, a void or a deadness of faith and he wants us to be honest enough, honest with ourselves, honest with God and honest with others about where that is because he wants to come in and bring healing. The only way that there can be healing is if there's first honesty, if there's acknowledging areas where we are aren't trusting Christ, and so he wants to challenge us to say, walk that out into the light, be honest about where you're really at, because the only way that you can move forward is by acknowledging it, by confessing it, by repenting it, and by turning and placing faith in Jesus, and so he challenges us on that, but he wants to also encourage us, because he wants to say, if you have a genuine faith, then know that you are saved, know that God loves you, he cares for you, and that all those that are entrusted to him, he does not lose one, and that you are safe with him, and so he, he encourages us. So first, let's look at the great, uh, a dangerous deception. Have you ever been self-deceived? Where you really thought something was true about yourself only to be wrong? I think that the auditions for American Idol are like a platform for self-deception. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I mean, people that think that they can sing go on that and it is just like, it's broadcasted. they, nobody pulled them aside and said, listen, I, I know you want to sing, but you can't. And it's, it's really, you know, um, it's awkward and it's painful um, because, I mean, they go up to hit that high note and we're like, oh, just please no, just don't do it. And I'm the worst. I mean, people, my, my wife's with me and it looks like I'm watching a scary movie because my shirt is over my eyes and it's like, I can't watch. Like, I get so awkward. I'm like, I can't watch it, but I like, I can't not watch either. And so it's like watching the train wreck come and you're like, like, this is just going to hurt, but it's just going to be so good to watch too. Um, and, and, and so we can see, I mean, right, people that are self deceived about their singing ability, it's going to be embarrassing, it might be painful, but it's, it's not going to be the end of the world for them, right? I mean, their life is going to go on. But the, the greater truth that you're deceived about, the greater the consequences, right? I mean, you say, ah, oh, I don't have a spending problem, I just like to have nice things all the time. <laughs> I don't have a gossiping problem. I just like to talk about, you know, what's going on in my friends' lives and their friends' lives, too. <laughs> I, my marriage is great. We just don't ever see each other, and we have totally different interests. I, I mean, I follow Jesus. Um, you know, I just, uh, I don't really come very frequently, and I, I pray when I can, and, you know, I like coming to church when something else doesn't come up. Jesus is cool, though. He understands. I've got other priorities, too, The bigger the truth you're deceived about, the bigger the consequences for you and for everyone around you. Are you a follower of Jesus or have you deceived yourself? Now, why in the world talk about this now? Why talk about this for us? Well, James is writing to new churches, to new believers, and his heart is to care for them. And he knows that there are people in the midst that think that they are following Jesus and they aren't. And it's hindering them and it's hindering the church. And he says, one of his first priorities is to say, I want you to see what it really means, and what it really looks like to follow Jesus. He wants to call out what is fake, what is phony, what is a facade, in order that he would show what is genuine, what is real, what is life-giving and active. And so this is my heart for us as a church, is that you would have clarity about what it really means to follow Jesus. Now, why would some of those in the early church believe they were followers of Jesus when they weren't? Why do so many today believe that they're followers of Jesus when they're not? And James gives us a variety of reasons. One of the first reasons that he gives is, we can see in James one twenty two. he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. One of the reasons that they were deceived is that they heard God's word. Now, hearing God's word is a really good thing, right? We don't have to say, don't hear. Hearing God's word is a great thing. Hearing God's word can lead to faith and both False faith and genuine faith start with hearing God's word, but one continues whereas the other one stops. A dead faith simply stops at hearing God's word while the other continues to actually practice God's word. Genuine faith is not merely association with God's word or his people. The same deception happens today. I was baptized as a child, therefore I'm a Christian My parents are Christian. I grew up in the church, therefore I'm a Christian. My great-grandfather on my uncle's wife's side is a preacher, so I'm cool. I go to church occasionally on Sundays, therefore I'm a Christian. My child goes to a uh, a Christian school, so I'm cool with Jesus. People still deceive themselves about following Jesus because they're associated with something that has to do with him. James wants us to understand that no one is a Christian simply by association. God calls and saves personally and individually. Another reason they were deceived about following Jesus is seen in James one through 23-24. It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Have you ever looked in a mirror and seen something wrong? You got this big sleep in your eye or something stuck in your teeth or your hair's messed up for those of you with hair? you know, why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't you do something about it? That's what James is asking. If you, if you look in a mirror and you see something's wrong, why wouldn't you change it? Why wouldn't you do something? And this is what was happening is people were coming. They were looking into God's word. They were seeing their brokenness, their imperfection. They were seeing areas that were out of whack, that areas where God said, listen, let me join you. Let me heal. Let me speak into that area. And they walked away as if nothing was different. They walked away and treated their life as if there wasn't anything broken, there wasn't anything wrong, they, they didn't need to be saved. There was no confession, no repentance, no application of God's word in their life, yet they still claimed to follow Jesus. The fact that they felt guilt, or that they felt wrong, or that they had some passing experience with Jesus 15 years ago at a summer camp, made them think that I'm a follower of, of Jesus, no, experiencing guilt, feeling fill, sorrow, having some previous one-time experience with Jesus at a conference doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus. You see, genuine faith is persevering faith. It's not a perfect faith, but it's a faith that fights to act on God's word. Another common deception that they have was seen in James two fourteen through 17. This is the, the spot where they encounter someone that is poor, that is homeless, that is in need of food and clothing, and instead of truly helping them in their situation, they say, go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet they don't do anything to actually remedy their situation. They mistakenly believe that having a feeling of sadness for someone else, that having some kind of empathy in their situation, that having, wishing warm sentiment to them means that they're a Christian. Now, those feelings aren't bad. <laughs> We should feel empathy and sadness and brokenness for someone else, but those feelings aren't the end. They're to drive us to actually do something. And you see this with Jesus. As Jesus comes upon the crowd, and he sees that they're tired, that they're harassed, that they're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He doesn't say, I really feel bad for you guys. No, the disciples are like, listen, send them away. And Jesus says no, and he provides for them. He, He multiplies. He gives them food to eat. He teaches them. We see this in Luke 10 with a Good Samaritan, is while the other two walk by the side of this poor, broken man, and they were the ones that were supposed to know. They knew, but yet they were too busy. They had things going on in their life, and they passed by. And it's the Good Samaritan that stops. He sees this man that is broken, that is destitute, that is half dead. And it's like, I just I felt compassion. I felt really bad for him as I continued on to my destination. No, he, he inconvenienced himself. He takes the man, and he puts him on his donkey. He walks him through a dangerous trek. He goes to an inn, and he pays his way. He says, if there's anything else he needs, put it on my dime. Pays for his medical bills. Genuine faith manifests itself in compassion towards others. Following Jesus means that we care for the broken and for the destitute. The last area that James identifies as an area of self-deception is in James 2.19. Now, this person says that, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in God. I believe that God is one. Right? They, they, they believe that they're a Christian because they affirm true doctrine. Now, true doctrine is a great thing. We don't you to believe false things. You know, it's never good to believe something that's not true. But he says, This person thinks, oh, I believe that God is one. I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus is his son, that Jesus died on the cross. And James says, that's great. So do the demons. The demons believe all those same things. You know the difference? Their lives aren't changed by them. They know the truth, but they are actively rebelling against that very truth that they know. They're not in submission to King Jesus. They don't love him or follow him. And he says, true doctrine, while a good thing, if it does not transform your heart, is not a genuine faith. Genuine faith isn't merely association. It's not feeling guilty for your wrong. It's not the same as having sadness or empathy towards those in need. It's more than affirming certain biblical truths. James shares these areas of self-deception because he loves these churches and he loves these individuals. But often those that are self-deceived have hard hearts. They likely they know deep down something isn't right, something's askew, but yet pride keeps them from hearing it. And they put on a front, acting as if everything is fine. This is so dangerous. Right? While deceiving yourself about seeing doesn't matter, deceiving about yourself about your salvation matters eternally. Because you're lying to yourself about literally the most important thing in your life. James asks. Is this kind of faith the kind of faith that can save you? He says, no. Your life is not. Jesus wants to come and he wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you peace and he wants to give you power if you would come to him. If you would acknowledge where you're at and ask him to come in and to rescue. When we don't acknowledge our brokenness and our desperation, we can never be healed and move forward. You see, this is exactly why Jesus got into so many conflicts with the Pharisees. You wonder why Jesus is constantly around people that are broken, people that are needy, people that were just, their lives were messed up? It's because they were honest. They were like, yeah, I'm here, help me. The Pharisees put on a facade. They acted as, I've got everything. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. If you would just acknowledge that you are broken, I would come and save. I would come and heal. It's, it's dangerous for your soul but it's not just dangerous for you, it's dangerous for others around you. So many people have rejected Christianity because they think that they've encountered Christians and they can't stand them, not knowing that they've never seen the genuine article. He wants to come and he wants to save and he wants to heal. So what does a genuine faith look like? Well, first we have to talk about what is genuine faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith has something to do with confidence, assurance, conviction of things that we hope are true. Right? We, it's different than sight. And we see this, 2 Corinthians 5 says, "For we, we walk by faith and not by sight. We have, can have strong reasons for believing something, but it's, it's outside of something that we can fully see, fully understand, fully comprehend. It's trust. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is about drawing near God, believing he exists and believing something about his character, that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. Faith is trusting in the character of God that Jesus is good, that he is king, that he is better. First Peter 8, 1 Peter 1, 8-9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now where does this faith come from? How do you get faith? Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. Salvation, grace, and faith, these aren't something that we just are born with. These are gifts of God. He says it is a gift. Faith is a gift that God comes in and brings. I remember the the first four or five years after I became a Christian, I would look back on my conversion. I would think, man, I was just, I was chasing God. I really wanted to know the truth and I was pursuing it. You know, I I got saved when I was 16, and I started to dig into apologetics and all of what it looked like, and and is Jesus really who says he is? Is the Bible reliable? I started digging all that stuff, and I I thought, man, I was just really pursuing God, and the older I got, the more mature I got, the more my perspective broadened, the more I saw that it was Jesus that was chasing me all along, that that from the beginning, he was coming after me, that I was dead in my sin, I was blind, and that he came and he touched my eyes, so that I would see, he opened my eyes to see his glory and his beauty and his brilliance. And so faith is, faith is a gift If that we call on, we ask God, God give us. But faith isn't just a gift, it's also a choice that we exercise. Right? Jesus commends those who have faith because they have chosen. You can see that something is, is true, that something is good, but you cannot live in light of it. And choosing to act on faith is choosing to say, I believe, God, that you are good that you are better, and I'm going to base my life and my actions around it, and so faith is both a gift, and it is a choice. Now, how does it relate to salvation? How does our faith and how do our actions relate to salvation? I mean, because if you read that part in James 2, most people, they, they think that James and Paul contradict, because it sounds like it. I mean, you have James that comes and says, hey, listen, you're justified not by faith alone, but also by works, and then listen to Paul. Paul says in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in, G- in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He says that same thing again in Romans 5, again in Titus 3.7. So how in the world do we read this? How does this make sense? On, on appearance, it seems that they're a contradiction, right? James says that you're justified by faith and works. Paul says that you're justified by faith alone. Now, the solution to this is to dig in a little bit more and say, what in the world does this word justification mean, right? And Paul, Paul uses justification to mean that you are legally declared righteous. Think about a court of law, right? You're guilty, and then the judge comes up and stamps his little gavel and says, no, I declare you innocent. I declare you righteous, right? Is a legal setting, a legal court setting. And that is how Paul uses the word. Listen to this in Romans 2.13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are, just, who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Right? He, he's saying that in God's court of law, it is those who act, it is those that do. They are justified. They are declared righteous. Now here, Jesus in Matthew 11.19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. He uses justified there not to say that wisdom is going to go in a court of law and be declared righteous. No, he says that wisdom is justified. Wisdom is proven, is shown, is seen to be righteous by its deeds. One is to be declared legally righteous. The other one is that it's shown, it's evident, it's made known, obvious that it's righteous. And so what they're talking about is complementary. It's not contradictory. And imagine it like this. Imagine our life like a tree right faith is the roots god is the soil and our actions are the fruit as our faith digs deep into the soil of god so it becomes healthy and it bears good fruit and this is what paul this is what james is talking about and paul is saying the same thing is that our the faith starts it's the roots of the tree without roots there's no fruit and so faith is what starts and as it goes deep so our life will begin to bear that fruit Now, what are some of the marks of a genuine faith? We've talked about what faith is, how it relates to works. Now, the the main part of this passage is is what does a genuine faith practically look like? First, a genuine faith humbles us. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Anybody have a problem with that? Anybody ever struggle with anger, being quick to speak out of turn? One of the things that he says is that Faith does this to us. It it, it humbles us. And I want you to hear these things not as something that we must do, but instead as what has been done to us. Right? We can can listen to this list and think, well, I just need to be more humble. That's not it. What it's saying is it's saying that as we press into Jesus, the faith that he imparts to us humbles us. Right? It's something that he does to us. He moves in our lives and he humbles us. Why? Well, faith is based on the fact that you can't save yourself. (laughs) right? I mean, the Christian message is that you're so broken, you're so messed up, that it took the Son of God coming down from heaven to earth to die in your place to save you. I mean, that, that humbles a person, right? You, you can't do anything to save yourself, and so that strips us of pride. It strips us of pretense. We can't look down on other people when we're looking up at God for our salvation, and so we know, we know that we're not the Savior that people need, <laughs> Jesus is. It means that our words, our anger, our solutions, they didn't save us. And so we know that they can't save other people. It is Christ and Christ alone that rescues. This realization, it changes our relationships. It makes us far more eager to listen. Far more eager to understand where somebody's coming from. It makes us far more eager to serve. We seek to be faithful to God's calling and leading. In other people's lives rather than kind of inserting what we think and what we want. We trust that God has a faithful plan, that He's working in each person's life, and that if we are able to be still and able to start to discern what God is up to, then maybe we can join where He's at work. Is grace humbling you practically in your life? Is it stripping the pride out of your relationships? When you think back on you becoming a Christian, does it still amaze you? Do you think to yourself, I'm a Christian? <laughs> like that actually happened? Or do you think, Of course I'm a Christian? How could I not be a Christian? If there's any of coarseness, then I would go back and examine because the the gospel tells us that there should never be an of coarseness. And I ought to, of course I'm a Christian. That it should still amaze us and be a miracle that God would save someone like us. The gospel strips pride out of our lives, it humbles us. Second thing that the gospel does, that a genuine faith does, is it empowers us. We see this in James 1 22 through 25, where he talks about that we're not just simply hearers, but we're doers of the word. You see, faith in Christ creates a yearning to live differently. We long to know and follow Jesus and the change that he's making, both in our life and in the world. Now, oh, we know that it's hard. We know that it is difficult, and we struggle at times to do it, but we've experienced the joy and the freedom that comes from actually doing what Christ says. Choosing to invest your life into others, it's going to be costly. It's going to take up some time. It's going to take up some energy. It's going to take up some emotional um, stamina, but it's worth it. Choosing to give your time, your money, your talent away to Christ rather than just hoarding it for yourself and your own pleasure, your own priorities. It might feel costly, but it's worth it. Choosing to to trust Christ when he calls you into sexual purity, when he calls you to say no to passing pleasures, it might feel like death, but it's worth it. Christ wants to lead us into freedom, into joy. Choosing to trust Christ when he says, listen, I want you to confess not just to me, but I want you to go to a brother and sister and actually acknowledge what's going on in your life so that you can receive healing. It might feel like it's death, but, but he wants to bring freedom and joy into your life through that. A genuine, a genuine faith that empowers us to live differently, to do and yearn for what God is up to and what he wants. A genuine faith perseveres Right? He says that you're not a hearer who forgets, but you're a doer who acts, who perseveres. While false faith, it starts and it stops. Genuine faith continues on. Now, it's not a perfect faith. It's not that you'll never have setbacks or hardships, doubts, or questions, no. But it's saying that you'll keep fighting. You'll keep pressing in. You'll keep being drawn back to want to know and to follow Jesus throughout your life. Genuine faith, it it perseveres. A genuine faith is compassion and action. And we see this in James 1:26 26 and, and James 2 14 through 16 where it says practically what does real religion look like? What does really following Jesus look like? It looks like caring for the orphan. It looks like caring for the widow. It looks like caring for the poor and for the destitute. One of my favorite examples of this is Zacchaeus right? You know, the Sunday school song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Why? I mean, Zacchaeus was, a, was a, a bad guy. I mean, he was a pretty evil guy when you actually read it. He was the chief tax collector of all the tax collectors, and what that meant was is it meant that he was a big fat thief. It meant that he stole and took taxes from his own people. He, he took from the Israelites to who to pay Rome, their oppressors the people that had killed some of their family, some of their friends, so he's stealing from his own people to pay the oppressors, and then he was also taking a pretty big percentage for himself, saying, well, you know, their tax is 10%, I'm going to charge them 15, I'll take five for myself. And so he climbs up, you know, and, and Jesus comes into this person's life, and this person that is, I mean, that is just this bad guy, he's rotten, and he enters into his house, he's like, I'm going I'm to eat with you. And something happens in Zacchaeus' life in that moment. He goes and his his faith is exchanged from from wealth and from money to Jesus. In that moment where there's this exchange, he says, I'm no longer trusting that my life needs wealth and money to have success, to feel value, to have purpose. But I believe that Jesus has that. What happens in his life is he becomes radically generous Right, I mean, it changes this person who is so so selfish, so stingy that he's saying, listen, I'll, I'll rat out my own people for money, to saying, listen, I give half of my possessions away to the poor, and if I've ever wronged somebody, I'll pay him back fourfold. And this is what genuine faith does, is it changes our hearts from the inside out. I love what Paul says in Ephesians four twenty six. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have enough to share with those in need. A genuine faith, it comes in and it it changes us. We can't look at the poor and the broken and not do something and not be moved. Next, a, a genuine faith fights to trust in God's goodness when everything seems to be against it. A genuine faith fights to trust in God's goodness when everything seems against it. Right, he talks about two examples. He says Abraham and Rahab. I mean, when you read the story of Abraham in Genesis 12 through 24, I mean, Abraham had a pretty rough deal. God tells him, listen, leave your whole family, take everybody, you know, take, take your little immediate family, and just start walking. Just go, and uh, I'm not going to tell you a destination, but you'll, I'll tell you when you get there. Right? And so he just is walking and going, and God will eventually tell him, all right, okay, you can stop now. You know, I mean, think about that. That's, pretty, that's a pretty radical call in your life to say, listen, take everything. Just, just go. I'll tell you when to stop. And then God promises and says, listen, I'm going to give you a son, but it takes 20 years. And so Abraham's really, really old at this point. And, you know, and, and it, it, I love Abraham because it shows that he's not perfect, right? He says, well, if God's going to do this, and he tries to super, you know, intervene with it. And, and he gets a, a child the wrong way, and God says, listen, I know you tried to mess with my plan, but I'm still, gonna, I'm still faithful, so I'm still going to give you a child. And so Abraham sees 20 years, and then God asks him, he says, give up your one and only son. That son that I promised to you, that you've been waiting for 20 years, go and give him up. And when all of these things could, could seem like they're going against God's goodness, Abraham still believed. And he says, no, I trust that, that God is good and that God's way is better and ultimately will end up. And it did. Right? I mean, he goes and he gives up the most treasured possession he has his son, and God gives him back. And we see this with Rahab. Rahab goes, and, and Israel, it's in Joshua too. Israel is going to, to take over the places that God had called them to, and they enter into Jericho. And Rahab is a prostitute. And they go into her, her area, and she protects the people of Israel. She chooses to side with God's people over her own, believing that the God of Israel is better, that he's able to reward. She trusts in that, and ultimately we see this with Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus was born in a stable. He should have been born in a palace. He should have had people that were, adored him and followed him, but instead he had people that ridiculed him and abandoned him. And in the, the hour of his greatest desperation, he's praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweat dropping down like blood, and he asks the Father, and he says, if there is any other way, is there any other way, let it happen, but not my will be done, but your will. And he endured everything. All of his disciples left him, they abandoned him. The Father turned his back, he received the death that he should never have faced. But he did all that trusting and knowing, he entrusted himself to his Father because he's good. He knew his father's character is good. Even when everything else seemed to go against it, he trusted. And he was resurrected. He was resurrected. Because of his death, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can forever know God's goodness towards us. We can forever trust that God cares for us, that he loves us. Now, Sometimes I look at that and I get overwhelmed. I get crushed, and, and one of my favorite passages is in Mark nine, where there's this father and his son has been possessed, and he comes to Jesus and he says, "If you can, if you can heal my son, heal him." And Jesus turns and says, "If I can, everything is possible to one who believes." And the father says, "I believe. Help my unbelief." And I think that that's the story for all of us. No matter where we're at, there are areas in our life where or we don't believe, and we can come before Jesus and we say, Father, I believe. Help these areas of unbelief. Come and speak into my life. Heal me. A genuine faith is seen in our lives. What is it that we believe? What is it that our lives are declaring is true? Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful um, that you love us and that you're willing to walk us out of deception into truth. And so I pray for those that are here that perhaps don't know you, um, that you would save, and for us that, that know you, that have a relationship with you, that you would just help us to walk um, more in line with what your word teaches, that you would prune us, and that you would use us. It's in your pray, Amen.